I do not want to run a marketing organization that is viewed as, as an expense line item, right? I want to be looked at as a revenue center. And at the end of the day, that's why, you know, I double down on content marketing because, you know, at the end of the day, we want to have, we're contributing to the, the revenue of the company and the, the most relevant fuel that we found is, you know, meaningful content that resonates with our buyers. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm today's host, John Miller, the CMO at Demandbase, and today we are talking with Chris Allen about building a content marketing organization and doing more with less. So if you haven't had the opportunity to meet Chris, he's the SVP of marketing at Heartland, which is a people-centric fintech company that serves over a million entrepreneurs. He's been in marketing and B2B tech for over a decade, working with a variety of companies, including Mercury Payments. And his real specialty is focusing on revenue marketing powered by content in highly matrixed organizations. So with that, Chris, I am very excited to welcome you to the show. Yeah, John, super good to be here. A lot of respect for you and all the work that you guys do. So it's good to sit down and have a conversation for sure. Thank you. You know, CMO to CMO, let's talk about content marketing. So, yeah, it's a big deal, isn't it? So just to kind of, you know, orient people to, to today's topic, can you begin with what do you mean when you say building a content marketing organization? Yeah, for sure. You know, I'd say back when, you know, SEO was easier, right? You were like, hey, let's build content that people can find us because we're, you know, we we got a lot of attention with the the pieces that we build on the website and things like that. And obviously brochureware has been huge for a really long time in marketing. And I think one of the things that has changed, it's really the channels, how people in, encounter businesses and how human people expect businesses to be. And I think at the end of the day, having content that fits those mediums and can be delivered in things like this, like video and uh, you know podcasts and the evolution of that, I, I think has gotten more complex in some ways and more human in others. And at the end of the day, as marketers, one of the things that we're trying to do is be as, as approachable as possible and get in front of as many people as possible and as many relevant buyers as possible. And your content is the thing that if you do it right, you resonate with your buyers. And that's one of the things that you, I think at the end of the day, want to organize your marketing team around is meaningful content that does just that. And that, that's hard for a lot of organizations that want to do some chest beating and say, hey, we're amazing. And I think demonstrating, you know, show versus tell is where things are are right now rather than, you know, a lot of the, hey, we're great and here's the speeds and, and feeds and all of the other things that, that have, have worked for a long time that don't necessarily work in the same way that they used to and get the right amount of attention. Yeah. So let's unpack some of that. Yeah. So, I mean, I built almost every company I've built on the back of content, you know, as well, you know, at back at Marketo, content meant written content. You know, I, I started by writing my blog before we wrote any code and we kind of got well known for producing kind of these definitive guides. But you, one of your takeaways is we've moved way beyond content today. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, like, uh, P, you know, big PDFs and huge thought leadership still works. I'd say the further up market you go, especially in B2B, but the further down market you go, the more that you're in, in sort of consumer land, right? Video has really 
I'd say taken main stage in, in a lot of ways and lower fidelity video, like, you know, I, I, th I think just something that doesn't seem need to be so scripted and overproduced, I think is a big, uh, a, a big draw nowadays. And, you know, just remember, I mean, the capabilities you had to have, like, especially when you were writing the blog and you were writing, you know, giant PDFs for people to download in these definitive guides. Those obviously they still they still work. I just don't get near the attention on those pieces like I used to. And obviously SEO is like thirty times harder than it was ten years ago. You know? Yeah, com completely agree. Um, so back to the, the original question. So we talked about the importance of content. Is a content marketing organization something you know bigger than just the content team? I mean, you know, when I think about content marketing, right, you need, you need somebody really leading the vision for it. So like I, I have like a, when I think about the four different layers of a content marketing organization, you've got the governance, you've got the strategy, you've got to execute on it. And then you really need somebody in a group, you know, running the analytics on it. So that's kind of the four kind of groups. And, and if you think about it, everybody in marketing, cause you're either, you're in one of three businesses in marketing, you're either in the content you know, operations in the middle or the delivery business, right? And so at the end of the day, I, I I do I organize my my marketing entire team around content. You're either building it or you're delivering it or you got the operations in between. But I I, I would say the hot, more highly matrixed an organization is, like we've got a channel organization that, you know, a partner organization that's gigantic and we provide some content for them, but most of mostly it's brochureware, right? And things like that. So so I think if there's a, a North Star, if there's like a, a Nexus or whatever you want to call it, I, I do think centering your organization around great content with some great themes and a great way to organize it. I, I think, I think you know, it's a really huge part of the marketing organization. It's just not every part of the marketing organization. Yeah, okay, that's fair. So you mentioned governance and strategy as some of the key roles. I guess multi-part question. First off, does that come from you, the CMO? The government strategies, or do you, did that get pushed down? You know, so like in, in my group, I think we've got probably seventy-five marketers uh, on the team, and I really do have, I'd say, a role in casting vision, right? Like our entrepreneur studio, it's a, it's really like one part video and podcast, and another part, you know, trainings and coursework to help you know entrepreneurs run better businesses, and. You know, that, that was like, Hey, how do we not be such a commodity? And how do we build something that feels a little more like a movement and a little less like, you know, just great content marketing. So yeah, I'd say as the, the head of marketing, I, I helped birth some of that stuff, but I really do have a person who's kind of like the chief content officer, right? And they really are the person that's taking, you know, whether it's core derivative field content, they are orchestrating all of that and they are activating the resources to really carry that through. So I, I would say absolutely in my group, you know, I have a chief content officer, a chief, you know, content marketing person. And then they have on their governance layer, they've got an editor, producer, right? And then there's a team that helps ratify a lot of the strategy. So those are really the, that's the governance layer that we, you know, that, that we have is, are those three particular roles and groups. Okay. Let's, let's stay on organizational roles for just a sec then, you know, talked about kind of, what are the other, the right minds you have to hire, the other roles that you have to fill out on the team? I mean, I think what is basically the way, the way that, the way that we have it underneath there is like, you got, you got to have people who understand the strategy, right. And understand like the different mediums because, you know, there's, 
you got, we got to understand audiences. We got to understand watering holes and all that kind of stuff and where content needs to be distributed and what's resonating with people. And so we, that's what we have is like a, that strategy team that then kind of delivers briefs and requests and all that kind of stuff to the execution team that really at the end of the day are the writers, the designers, the videographers, all the digital marketers and things like that to actually deliver, to execute and deliver the content. So those, those are the, I'd say the roles, right? Uh, that, that we have, I mean, uh, uh, I'd say the majority of our content is written. Um, I'd say 70% of it is written and the other 30% is really multimedia. Okay. You know, I think something that a lot of executives probably have struggled with a little bit with the content team is kind of just aligning everybody around a clear vision of what the, what the content should look like and how it should work and how it should act. So can you talk a little bit about the, the, the why and how you communicate the vision with the team? Yeah, I think one of the things that we do is, you know, I, everything content wise kind of gets born from what I call a corporate narrative. You know, there's the things we need that it really is the document that is the the guidepost of, of our brand. And we've got these points of view, how we look at the world. Um, but that's really all about us. And what the where we break it down from there is we take the content themes based on our customers. We say, hey, what what's our ideal customer profile? And we line those out and then we layer on themes, you know, like these kind of overarching three, maybe four content themes of things that align with who we are and really match with an unmet need that our, our ideal customers have. And so from those themes, we kind of uh, birth out some goals of how much content we should get out, right? What the different form factors of content should be, and then start to, you know, sort of retrofit the assembly line according to you know what we plan on building and how much we plan on getting out what, what does that mean to retrofit the assembly line just like that's aligning the execution team so like yeah i mean you got we we've got a um a request like a project management system that everything goes into so all of the briefs for all the content get put in there what theme like all of the different attributes of the content what's the theme what's it connected to what's the hook story you know, action that we're looking for. Right. And so just placing that in a project management system and then handing that off to all of the different individuals. And that's what I mean by retrofitting is like, Hey, what are we looking to build and how can we connect the resources to it so that it's seamless to get it to go down the assembly line of content development to content delivery. All right. If I can go kind of off road a little bit here, you know, talk about content delivery. You know, I think something that a lot of content marketing organizations struggle with is, wow, we're producing all this content. I don't know if people are all seeing all of it, right? How, how have you sort of cracked that problem to just, you know, cause of making sure that your content actually is getting used. So I've, I've done a couple of different things where I've tried to wrap technology around it. I've used, you know, the hosts of the world and things like that before. And I think there's a little bit of a, I call it a mirage, right? Where like this thing where like from soup to nuts, you could man you could measure every square inch of every piece of content that you put out there. I think one of the things that we try and do is is thread together as closely as we can attribution related to revenue marketing, right? Like so like if we're gonna deliver content, we need to you know, kind of and I'll geek out for a second on things like, you know, campaign naming conventions and UTMs, you know, and all of those different sort of like when somebody fills out a form, how many hidden fields get passed into the, you know, into all of our different automation systems and our CRM and things like that. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the 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 goal is like closed loop reporting. You know, did somebody read that white paper, watch the podcast? 
how many touches did they have along the way? And then when they finally said, this is who I am, and they have this anonymous visitor or this anonymous subscriber becomes a person, how close to revenue did we get? What, how, how do we sort of layer in the different revenue across all the different touches that we had? And I, I would say that I haven't really hit the gold mine on how to do that for all the way upstream with like subscribers, you know, on a podcast or, you know, followers on social. I haven't really hit that yet, but people who are on my website and give me their email address, we've done pretty good at sort of the, the attribution modeling to, to say this particular content really got this individual's attention and here's how much revenue is associated with, with the output of that piece. Yeah. So that's on the measurements. I also was just asking about literally just promotion, right? I mean, and I'll, and I'll give you an example. Like, so we produce a lot of video demand base. We've got a section of our website called DBTV, which is you know, our hub for streaming B2B video content. And you know, the, the worry I have is, all right, I produce a new video. I put it up on DBTV. You know, I put it up on LinkedIn. I share it from, you know, on my social channels, but like, is it really getting the views that it deserves? Right. And sometimes I worry if I don't, it doesn't get included then in an email that goes out, then it just doesn't necessarily, you know, get the light of day. Right. So it's the curse of producing a lot of content. So I'm kind of wondering kind of have you, have you tackled just getting eyeballs onto all the, all the different content that's being produced? You know, some, some of the content wins and some loses. And, and one of the things that I think is that I, there's people and then there's algorithms, right? So one of the things that, that we do with content is like, Hey, if we're going to publish something on all of these social channels, you really do have to understand how the algorithm is going to give you more reach, right? Because there's only so much reach you're going to get, no matter if you have followers on social not all of them are going to see your content, right? And so you really do have to understand a little bit about how the game is played and making sure that like, hey, are we doing all of the things that that we can to get an algorithm to say, hey, I recommend this and I'm going to give you more reach, right? TikTok's the one doing that really well right now. And so if you think about it, that is the way SEO worked for a long time. You wanted a search engine to recommend your content and you needed to figure out how the algorithm worked to get it to recommend your content in those first three slots. And the thing is now social, right, is doing something very similar, very similar. YouTube, right, everything that, you know, Facebook and Instagram, TikTok, it's all algorithmic. And so that's the way to get reach is you kind of got to follow the algorithm. So one of the things that we try and do is it isn't just aimless follower growth and things like that. We try to get targeted follower growth so that the algorithm knows hey, they're looking for this type of people and these type of people are, are listening to their content. These type of people are engaging at this rate. Therefore, we're going to recommend this content to other people. And that's where all the suggested things come from. So I think that's one of the things is getting reach and getting in front of a lot of eyeballs is one of the things that we really try and I'd say put a lot of attention on and make sure that we've got the freshness factor, that we've got you know accurate sort of content for what our followers are doing. We're watching those engagement rates and things like that to see if like certain things are working and certain things aren't. But then, you know, I would say that what we've learned is these algorithms and, and these platforms are pay to play way more than they used to be, you mm -hmm. know? Uh, yeah, and so, so that, that's, that's what I was like, I mean, what are, what are the, like, have you found any great tips or, or secrets or ideas for, you know, kind of getting the most out of the algorithm? Like, how are you getting that targeted followers and what, you know, 
What what can listeners take away and actually use? Yeah, I mean, you know, with uh, you know a million customers, right? We are constantly trying to get lookalike audiences that look like our customers all the time, and and we do have we experiment with other audiences that when we're we're running paid, and so one of the things that I'd say is a trick is if you can target your audience and you've got some testing on your you know the audience that you're looking for that is most like your customer. You know, one of the things we try to do is we don't, we're not asking all the time for, you know, some sort of lead gen off of paid social. We're really trying to get that super top of funnel, just somebody to come visit our site so we can remarket to them or, you know, get their email address or something like that. But one of the things that I've realized is if you can generate a lot of paid impressions that turn into a lot of paid clicks, if they follow you out of paid and then you have great organic content they engage with, you show up in their feed way more often. So, that's one of the things we try and do is have if we're going to do a if we're going to do a campaign that's paid, we want to have organic following right up to those people so that they engage that second time, and that is one of the stickiest ways that I've seen to get the algorithm to sort of pick you up and start to recommending to recommend your content, getting paid and organic to kind of work together. Super cool. The other the other takeaway that I had from what you were talking about, you know, is that you basically said, you know, sometimes the content hits and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, which which I think is an important lesson for folks. I mean, back again, my days when I was writing blog posts and things, each blog post was like crafted and I cared for it and I birthed this thing, you know, and, and if it wasn't like, if it didn't succeed, I was kind of bummed out, right? Whereas I think today it's more like Instagram and you throw a bunch of stuff up and some of them get lots of likes and some gets fewer likes and it's kind of okay. But I think that's sort of an important lesson for content marketers. You know, I th- the thing that I like about what's happening now is you can fail faster. Like if you write those blog posts, I mean, like the only thing you had back in the day and, you know, I remember when, you know, you could see all the clicks from, you know, organic keywords that they typed in right now, you have to pay for that. But back in the day, you could see something other than, you know, not provided and not set. And you're like, Ooh, that worked. And search console was your best friend and all that kind of stuff. And, and see, I, you know, I think that the, the, that was, that was helpful. And then as they peeled a lot of that stuff back, it got harder. And the more that everything's got to multimedia and social, that's, that's one of the things you can do now is you can fail a little bit faster. If you have a couple of sequ- a couple of pieces of content that are similar and all of them fail, you know, like, and they don't get engagement, you know, that that's not the content you should keep doing. So you can fail faster, try the more things on. You couldn't do that with blog posts. You either ranked or you didn't. Right. And you get the traffic or you didn't. And you spent the same amount of time on the piece of content. That's one of the things that I I think the team, my team definitely likes better is being able to take smaller swings at pieces of content that are similar and see how they resonate. And then I assume double down on those and sometimes then create the bigger content behind that. Yep. Yeah, double yep. down on those. And you know, the ones that that win give you the traffic and the things that really win are the ones that give you conversions and then the ones that actually buy. And I I think that that's one of the things that I I think is what we're aspiring to all the time is finding the right mix of, you know, the content that people enjoy and that resonates with, uh, you know, potential buyers at the same time, you know, we, we try on a lot of different pieces that really don't resonate with our buyers, but they may get a lot of impressions. And so that's the thing is you're kind of like, well, you know, that's fine. It got, it got a lot of impressions, got a lot of engagement, um, but they, they weren't our buyers and that that's, that that's okay too. Right. And that, that's one of the things that I think 
you know, as somebody who is a marketer that has a number on my head, right? I, I do not want to run a marketing organization that is viewed as as an expense line item, right? I want to be looked at as a revenue center. And at the end of the day, that's why, you know, I double down on content marketing because, you know, at the end of the day, we want to have, we're contributing to the the revenue of the company and the, the most relevant fuel that we found is, you know, meaningful content that resonates with our buyers. So only a loose connection off of that. So we've produced all this content. It's out there. How often do we need to um, audit it, you know, check, you know, take old stuff down, maintain it, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, retiring content, I think, is a, is a sensitive game, especially, you know, if it's content that's on your website, um, you know, I think refreshing is a good thing. I mean, if you start to see rankings drop or, or traffic drop off, off on a certain page, you probably need to go into like a clear scope or a market muse and see what other topics are you know, kind of trending and why, what Google is more recommending. And that, that, that's one of the things you got to look at. You know, I, I do think you got to have structured, categorized pieces of content that you put onto different channels so that you can report out on them and see like kind pieces that are performing or underperforming. But, I, but I'd say re retiring content. I, I don't retire a ton of content. I tend to update, right? I, I, I tend to update and, and I don't, I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> I just, I don't like, de- I don't know what it is. I don't like deleting URLs, you know, and writing through and redirects. I think it can be a bad experience for, for customers because those URLs still show up in search sometimes and like you click and even if you redirect, you're not redirecting to the thing you expected to get. We face that problem with acquisitions when we buy companies. Yes. You know, yeah, and- you get a discount, right? You, if you're going to do those 301 redirects, it's going to be a 15% discount on that link juice, right? So, I mean, it's a, it's a real, it's a real issue and it's a real commitment that, that you got to make. I think one of the other things that is a little interesting about like not necessarily retiring content, but I will pull certain content out of the index. Like one of the things that I found is that like, you don't need to tell Google index all of this stuff now. So the URL can still remain the same. We don't have to put a lot of attention on it. But we pull it out of the index because it's not really helping us anymore. And the more I've shrunk some of that footprint that that we leave in the 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 index has really helped boost some of the other pieces because you're consolidating some of the the link you know the link profiles and the link juice that you have across the site. So that I'd say that's that's more of a technique that I use more regularly than like actually deleting you know or retiring or redirecting content. Okay. So then you you talked about wanting to be a revenue center and not a cost center. And yet I think most marketers out there today are facing pressure on their budgets, you know, because I don't care how good a marketer you are, like the tie from what you do to revenue will always be looser than the tie from what sales does to revenue. It's just the nature of marketing. And so I think even the best marketing organizations are being forced to cut back and do more with less. So how do you how are you thinking about pulling off a content marketing program like this with fewer resources? How should our listeners be thinking about this as well? Yeah. If it surprises you, that's a tough spot, right? Cause we, we, as good, as good marketing executives, we, we know that these times come, right? They're coming. <laughs> they, they're they are here. coming. Yeah. Hey, yeah. And so the way to prepare is to make sure that, Hey, if you're going to show up, Let's say one of the things that I'm known for is like, they're going to, you know, some, you know, CEO is going to hire me to say, Hey, listen, my marketing team, 
they don't drive any revenue. They just build a lot of brochures and do a lot of events for us. How do we, how do we build a revenue marketing organization? And so I give them a plan, right? Hey, it's like right now I'm running one. Hey, we're going to build, prove, and scale that we can do revenue marketing at scale. And you, what you have to do is pay your way there a little bit and taper off as your organic starts to, starts to compensate for that. And so that's one of the things that I think is really important doing more with less is saying if, and, and not, not everybody gets like a, you know, a, a, an investment, right? They just get their standard budget. If you're flat budget year over year, you just kind of got to deal with it. And that's one of the things where you got to get a little scrappy and work with, you know, partners that you have, or, you know, people with a lot of reach that aren't a lot of cost, right? Some influencers or some paid social and things like that. But at the end of the day, tapering off your, your, you know, let's say your SEM, your, your, your paid search marketing, you know, spend that you have that that's like, obviously the most expensive or, or like some giant programmatic, you know, from the trade desk or something like that. Or, you know, there's the, the wonderful demand bases of the world that, that have, uh, have these great networks to, to run ads. I think at the end of the day, you, you, you got to be judicious with your spend and you got, you know, sort of the people and the headcount piece doing more with less. It's like, it's all, I don't know, like I, I, I kind of look at it as two, the two biggest things is your headcount and your paid media budget. Those are the two things that people come after and maybe events. And I'm just ready to pull one of those levers at any time and still hit my revenue number, Right. And I think at the end of the day, you got to repurpose some things and be ready. But the the organic reach that you get out of pay out of, excuse me out of social, and the organic you reach you get out of you know out of search on your website, th- those are the those are the two saving graces that can get you the reach that you need when you got to have sort of a a reduced budget for a period of time because not many organizations cut your budget and never give it back. You know what I mean? So well, that would not be a healthy organization. You know, yeah, growing organization, the budget, the, the budget will come back in a healthy organization. So this is true. This All is right. true. And that you got to be able to weather those storms. Yeah. So getting near the end here, I guess for, first off-road question, you, you, you're like, you're clearly kind of staying up to speed on the latest, you know, you, you're knowledgeable about search and social algorithms and the trends and the new content marketing technologies. How are you kind of staying cutting edge and keeping up to date? I think it's uh, my network, you know, I mean, you know, I, I would say that a lot of uh, my, my marketing friends, we d- DM each other quite a bit on Instagram. Hey, did you see this? Did you see that? You know, you've got the, the awesome sort of growth stories on like a click, click funnels and what Russell Brunson's done in the past three or four years. You know, you've got just a lot of my search buddies and things like that are, those are, those are the ways that I've, I've kind of kept in touch instead of getting out of touch. I don't read a lot of like, you know, you know trade publications and things like that. I, re- I really don't spend a lot of time doing that. It really is like, what's the hot thing that just changed? And if you get out of it for a minute, it's it takes you a minute to get back in, but I, I think I've just stayed connected. Okay, yeah. cool. Just, just staying connected. Awesome. It's the easiest way to say it. What about what you would recommend to our listeners? Is there a book, blog, video site, your own or others that you'd recommend for our listeners? You know, I really like all the I'd say as it relates to just marketing and and sim- more simplified marketing and funnel building, I really do like a lot of the stuff that Russell Brunson has put out there. All his expert secret stuff is is that stuff really has resonated to me. It's the, some of the most scrappy marketing that's out there. And, that, and that's and, uh, uh, 
Yeah, that's ClickFunnels. And then, I mean, who doesn't follow Rand Fishkin? You know what I mean? Like him with his exit from Moz and all of the, what, you know, what he's doing now with Spark Toro and all that kind of stuff. He's just, man, he's, he's, I don't know how that guy stayed relevant for so long, but he's, he's really one of my favorites to just kind of, kind of follow and see what he's thinking. And I, I just love how kind of anti big company <laughs> that he ends up being and just helps you see all the, see through all of the wrinkles and all the, you know, smoke and mirrors that get put out there. I just, I, I really love uh, those two guys. I got a lot of respect for them. Yeah, back in the days, I definitely was a Rand fan and sort of followed everything Moz. So yeah. that's good. Yeah, he's, and then he's anything awesome. you want to plug yourself? Yeah, I mean, uh, the Entrepreneur Studio is kind of like the the thing I'm I'm most excited about. Like, you know, one of the things that we've had this hand delivered brand for so many years, and we'd never really demonstrated how connected to the entrepreneur community and small business community that we were. And so we've got this, you know, we got a podcast and then uh, coursework and trainings that we're doing. I just, it's something that I'm really excited about, something I'm passionate about. And I'd say, I call myself kind of the protagonist for all things small business. And uh, I, I, it's weird working in a behemoth company and being such a, such a fan of people's champion of the small business, but it's that, that's one of the things that I'm really excited about. And I'm, I'm, I'd probably say I'm most enthusiastic about that part of my job, you know, yep. where will people find that? Yeah. You can go to the entrepreneurs.studio on the web. You could go to the entrepreneur studio on Instagram. You can follow me on Chris Allen TV on Instagram. Yeah. Those are the places to find that stuff. Cool. And that's the best way. Chris Allen TV on Instagram is the best way to get in touch with you. Yeah. Easiest way. DM me. Awesome. Uh, well, listen, this was a really awesome, fascinating conversation about content. I learned something myself. I hope our, our audience members learned something. Um, thanks for being on the show. John, thanks so much. Got a lot of respect for you and, and your, your legacy that you've given to marketers. Appreciate all the work that you've done. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV.